Amy's, uh, good morning. Uh, I'm Pastor Harry. I'm part of the staff here at Summit Drive. And to my right is Snea Reddy. And Snea comes to us via New Delhi, where she studied uh, philosophy and English literature. But she has a passion to study songwriting. So she's come to Canada and uh, studying in Three Hills, Alberta, with some very good songwriters. And so it's just great to have her here today. And, and she's been serving an internship with us this summer. And it's an introduction to ministry internship. In other words, we try to expose her to everything that would happen within the life of the church during the course of the week. And uh, so we've been really stretching her, haven't we, Snea? Yes. <laughs> I told her this summer, I promised to stretch you. And if I stretch you too much, just say, hey, I, I'm a little uncomfortable. But anyways, we've put her into some really interesting situations this summer, and she's just thrived. And of course, part of her internship is to how to prepare a sermon for a Sunday morning. And so we started like eight weeks ago. Yeah, eight weeks ago. So we've been working on this text for a long time. And if anyone feels convicted by this text, it's her and I. We just looked at it for such a long time. But anyways, um, I just decided that... uh, because she really took to the whole process. I need to invite her to team preach with me here this morning. So Snea is going to do that. So Snea, I'll let you begin. Okay. Hi, everyone. I must say I have learned a lot from this internship so far, and I'm excited to have the privilege of joining Pastor Harry and sharing the Word of God with you today. Let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word which never changes. Thank you that your word has the power to speak to us, to transform us, to make us more like you every day. As we meditate on your word now, help us to be willing to let you shape our hearts to become people after your own heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I share a very special bond with my sister. She is my best friend and my second mom. We're five years apart, and like all older sisters, she was kind of responsible for taking care of me. And sometimes, let's face it, she didn't want to, and I don't blame her. After all, she was a child too. But she always made sure that I felt included, that I knew that she loved me. You see, my sister was always ready to help me, and still is after all these years. I remember as a kid, She was always excited to clean up after me. Why she was so excited about changing my diapers or cleaning me up after I puked, I will never understand. (laughs) What I do know, though, is that she was my mom's little helper, always ready to serve me. You see, she didn't do it because my mom would reward her or because she was scared of my mom, but because her heart was being transformed by the love of God every day, and she showed me her love through the way she served me. And this is what today's message is all about. When people encounter the living God, they begin to do many good and wonderful things, and they do so out of love. The passage before us today is Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. If you do not have a Bible with you, you will find today's passage on today's handout. In this passage, Jesus teaches us both something about what his second coming will be like and something about how he will judge the people of this world. As Pastor Harry reads this passage, 
I encourage you to visualize Jesus coming in all his glory and as well to visualize the entire world being gathered before Christ, seated on his glorious throne. Pastor Harry, will you read the passage for us? Yes, hear now the words of Christ, and I really encourage you to keep the text open before you this morning. Yes, you'll find it on a handout in your bulletin. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people, the people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When would he see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And now this is the key verse, friends. The king, that is Jesus, will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the, the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And may our hearts be open to what Christ would teach us from this passage here this morning. In the next 12 or 13 minutes, Stay and I are going to try to explain this passage as clear as we possibly can. And then we're both going to answer the question, what is Jesus, what has he taught us as we reflected on this passage for the last six or eight weeks? So let us begin, Sneha. Okay. Firstly, I believe this passage teaches us that Jesus is coming again to judge all of humanity. In verse 31, Jesus is the Son of Man. And in the passage, the Son of Man is the universal judge the one who will judge every last one of us. The scene is set, my friends, in the heavenly throne room where all the nations have been summoned. Although Jesus has already made it very clear that nobody knows the exact date, time, and year when he will return, this passage tells us something about what will happen when he does return. Yes, verse 32 talks about all the nations, which means that the people gathered before Jesus in his heavenly throne room would look a lot like me, a lot like you, and our African brothers and sisters today. Yes, all nations will be gathered on the day the Son of Man comes in his glory. No one 
no one will be excluded. So you can say that this passage is relevant for people from all countries, races, and linguistic groups. Furthermore, this day will clearly reveal if we are true followers of Jesus Christ. The passage teaches us that Jesus will separate the people like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. The sheep stand for the righteous who will inherit eternal life, which is exhilarating. But the goats stand for the cursed who will be doomed to eternal punishment. Now that is very intense, I think. So in a way, this text is both exhilarating and overwhelming at the same time. Now when I was doing my research, I wondered, why does Jesus use the goat and the sheep analogy? Artie France gave me a very satisfying answer. He says that in the Middle East, sheep and goats were often pastured in mixed flocks. The sheep were not as white as the flocks familiar to us. Some were brown and had brown spots, even when they were clean. It needed a practiced eye then to distinguish between the sheep and the goats since they looked alike. Artie France claims that the imagery provides a memorable illustration of the final division of people who have up to this point lived together indistinguishably. To other people, and even to themselves, the saved and the lost may look very similar. It takes the expertise of the King of Kings, Jesus himself, to know which is which. And so then I think it's interesting as a reader New Testament, Jesus is so often portrayed as Savior, and so he is. He's often portrayed as a great teacher, and so he is. He's also portrayed as a great king or leader, and so he is. Mm -hmm. But the New Testament as well portrays Jesus as a judge as well. The Father has entrusted all judgment to his Son. Yes, he is both the one who rewards those who repent and the one who punishes those who reject him as his Savior and Lord. Yes, Jesus is God's appointed judge, as we read about in the book of Acts and many other places. But let me quote to you here from Acts chapter 10, verse 42. He, that is God, commanded us to preach to the people that he, that is Jesus, is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. So firstly, this passage clearly teaches that Jesus is coming and part of his ministry is that of judge. Now, secondly, I believe this passage teaches us that Jesus is going to greatly reward those who have loved the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, as verse 34 makes so very, very clear. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Yes, in verse 31, we are instructed that Those on Jesus' right hand, that is the sheep, will be greatly blessed by our Heavenly Father, for they will be given a great inheritance. Specifically, and I love this concept, the kingdom prepared for us since the creation of the world. Friends, doesn't that say something about the greatness of our God? Friends, I believe, really believe it does, for from eternity past, God has prepared a kingdom for those who have embraced him and his great plan of salvation offered to us in his son, Jesus Christ. And what may you ask, is the kingdom that we are going to inherit? Friends, although at this very moment, 
We have the privilege of being part of his kingdom as we allow Christ to reign in our hearts. What Jesus is talking about in this verse is the kingdom in all its glory. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come. Yes, the kingdom fully realized on the day that Christ returns when all will be made right and we'll be given those new resurrection bodies that are imperishable, glorious, and powerful. And we have the privilege of living in the new heavens and new earth where everything functions as it should. No one will ever hear someone say again, why, they don't do, why don't they do this? They should take care of this. Friends, we know that we live in a broken world and things are not as they should be. But in the new heavens and new earth, everything will be made right. And that is the kingdom fully realized. So as kingdom people, we now experience, you might say, in part, <laughs> what one day we'll experience in all its fullness. Yes, that is eternal life in an atmosphere of perfect love in the very presence of God. And as Matthew's gospel has made very, so very clear, is there a place reserved for those who said yes to the kingdom or yes to Jesus, yes to the person of Jesus Christ, and then have begun that process of personal transformation, that they see their life moving towards more like acting like God does, people who have a genuine concern for the downtrodden, those who have great needs. Now, not to be mistaken here, if you only had this passage of scripture, you might conclude that Jesus is teaching us salvation by works, entrance into his kingdom by works. However, that is not what Jesus is saying. Rather, he is saying that the presence of good works or acts of loves are the evidence of a person who has truly entered the kingdom of God. Yes, through faith in Christ, which when and always in turn will lead to a life of some degree of personal transformation. Let me say it several different ways. When a person places their faith in Christ, they become spiritually alive. To borrow John's gospel, they become born again. And that leads them into a life of good works. Said another way, to follow the one who is light is to be influenced by him. As Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Oh, they'll have moments of regret. They'll make mistakes, but Jesus will keep bringing them back into a light, a life of light that is a life of goodness. Friends, in this passage, Jesus is talking about those who have truly entered into God's plan of salvation, which Paul describes with these very famous words. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, or workmanship, or work of art, it's translated various ways, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Most certainly we are saved by grace. Most certainly we enter the kingdom of God by grace. Most certainly we receive eternal life by grace. That is God's unmerited favor. To experience salvation, to experience life in God's kingdom is never about earning something for oneself. And Paul makes it so very clear in this passage, does he not? Not by works so that no one can boast. 
when you show up in God's kingdom, you will not be boasting, say, I made myself perfect for this experience. No, you've added nothing really to it. Friends, God works in us. After we come to faith in Christ, God begins a work in us, creating a people who are desirous of doing the good that we really know we ought to do. So I would say, friends, what Paul is teaching in this passage is really the very same thing that Jesus is teaching in Matthew 25. Good works or acts of love flow from a life that is being transformed. Now, before we get into our last point here, I would like to ask Nea this question. Who in the world are the least of these brothers and sisters of mine? And we've had this discussion for about six weeks, and we realize that it's even even broader than what Jesus is talking about. But go ahead and answer that question. Okay. Well, Pastor Harry, Jesus tells us in verse 40 that whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Scholars argue that the least of these brothers and sisters of mine in verse 40 can stand for several people groups. The least can stand for all the needy people in the world, all Christians in the church, disciples of Jesus, Christian missionaries, Jewish Christians, the persecuted missionaries, non-Christians, and finally needy believers. In my understanding, the least of these is most likely a reference to the needy disciples, who in Matthew's day were often excluded from care, as attention was shifted to the rich and prominent within the discipleship community. R.T. France says that the recipients of the acts of kindness are Jesus' brothers and sisters, and what is done to them is done to him. This is in line with what Jesus says in Matthew 12, verses 49 and 50. Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus in this passage is stressing the need for his followers to care for the least and the supposed insignificant among them. Because, friends, Jesus cares for his people with a passion and wants his followers to do the same. Our mission as followers, I think, is to be lovers of our fellow believers who might be hurting in some way or the other. Mm-hmm. And I think, Snea, we would agree that uh, every week we're encountering someone who's up against it or hurting in some way. And we really need to be open to minister in those situations. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Snea. Anyways, thirdly, and I'm going to be brief on the third point here, but... This is a bit of a sobering statement, but it's taught here in the text. Jesus will punishment punish those who have not loved the least of these brothers and sisters of mine. Or in light of the entire gospel of Matthew, I think it is fair to say that Jesus will punish those who have rejected him and therefore who have failed to love those, to love his brothers and sisters who are in need. Yes, in sharp contrast to those who will receive eternal life in the kingdom and all its glory, these are those who will be excluded from God's glorious future. In the words of uh, Bible commentator Michael Wilkins, the absence of transformation is proof that a person has not accepted the invitation to the kingdom. They may claim to be believers, but there's no evidence to support their claim, for these people do not love needy believers. 
And as the passage makes so very clear, these people have not necessarily done anything really horrific, but rather they failed to do the good that they know they ought to do, and we call this sins of omission. Yes, they failed to do the good they know they ought to do. Friends, the Bible makes it clear that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And what appears to be our understanding here is that these people have rejected that wonderful offer from Jesus. So in conclusion, uh, both Sinea and I would like to now answer the question, what do we hear Jesus saying to us in this passage? And, you know, when you prepare over eight weeks, this passage really begins to sink in a bit and and really challenge you. (laughs) So just before I share my response, I'm going to share a couple things that I heard people saying to me this week as they considered this text as well. You know, it could be that there's people here this morning maybe thinking to themselves, wow, I'm not sure I'm part of Christ's kingdom because I'm not really involved in serving Christians who are really in need. Now, to some of you, I would say this. You're absolutely wrong because you do it all the time and you are not even conscious of doing it. It simply flows from your life, a life that is being transformed. However, I think there would also be some here this morning who would honestly say, hey, I'm not involved in this at all. And maybe the primary reason you're not involved is that you're rejecting Christ's right to rule your life. You know, friends, we experience the kingdom now as he reigns in our hearts. And if he's reigning in your heart, you will be a blessing to others. You know, some people here this morning, it might also be true, that your life is so incredibly busy that you're doing things you probably even shouldn't be doing. You're so busy, you don't have time to care for others. Friends, I know this because I've been in these places. There also may be another category here this morning that you're actually engaged in something right now that you know you ought, you know you shouldn't be. And that is really keeping you from ministry from reaching out and caring for others. So I would say here this morning, if any of you find yourself living outside of Christ's will for your life, once again, ask him to reign in your heart once again. Now coming back to this question, what do I hear Jesus teaching me from this passage? Let me give you my answer and then I'm going to correct myself. On your outline, you'll read this. I hear Jesus saying to me that I should prepare for his return. And hasn't Matthew 22 and 23 and 24 been all about being ready for his return? That seems to be the big emphasis in Matthew's gospel. That I should prepare for his return by investing my time into doing the things he has called me to do. Now that seems to be a little bit of oughtness to it, doesn't it? And I think there's some oughtness in the text here this morning, but I think I can say this more accurately. That I should prepare, that I should prepare for his return by investing my time in doing the things that he has, that he is motivating me to do, that he is leading me to do. Yes, the things that he is speaking to me about, so that really life is all about responding to the one who's working in our hearts. Now, friends, as I reflected on this passage, it occurred to me that Jesus really loves it 
when people express their love in genuine ways, in such practical ways. And these ways identify us clearly as his followers. And and consider with me his list. Feeding the hungry. Did you guys know you feed the hungry in this city every week? I think we have seven, $8,000 going to the, the homeless people in the city through that mustard seed. <laughs> Providing water for the thirsty. Oh boy, including the stranger in your circle of friendships. Providing clothes for those in need. Caring for the sick. Visiting those in prison. And Jesus was likely referring to fellow believers who ended up in prison because of their faith. Friends, all of these acts of love address real needs in our world today. And Jesus wasn't writing a comprehensive list, by the way. There are so many other beautiful acts of love. So I have to conclude that Jesus is really calling all of us (laughs) to love every human being we ever meet. But he also says in this text, especially those who are fellow believers in their time of need. So I conclude my part here in the words of John Wesley, and I just love this quote by him, and it's in your handout here this morning. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Friends, I believe that that is what Christ is wanting to work in each and every one of us. Snea. Well, I think Jesus is teaching me that he loves the least of his disciples with a great passion, and he wants us to be mindful of them just as he is. Every one of his brothers and sisters is precious to him, and he wants us to love them as he does. You see, when we help our fellow believers in their need, we serve Jesus. We reflect his love through our good works because to serve others is to serve him. Now think about this. Every time when we serve someone, we are actually serving Jesus. I think that is pretty (laughs) mind-blowing. And we can serve God in simple and yet profound ways. All the things that Jesus mentioned, food, clothing, hospitality, visiting the sick, are all simple ways of caring for those in need. I've had the privilege of visiting the seniors and the sick from this church with Pastor Harry this summer. And I must say, It has been the most rewarding of all the other things that I have been exposed to this summer. Friends, I learned that a simple visit from us means a lot to a senior who hasn't had anyone to talk to them the whole day. One of the seniors, who is also my personal favorite, is Elma. Elma is a great woman of faith, and if you ever get a chance to meet her, please go meet her. She is amazing. She is always so full of love and care. When I go visit her, she always asks me to stay for tea and cookies. She enjoys my company, and I love, I love talking to Elma because I feel closest to God when I talk to her, and I feel close to my family back home when I'm with Elma. Simple acts of love, my friends, can bring kingdom people from all parts of different, all parts of the world together, and that, I think, is amazing. As an outsider whom you all embraced as a part of your church community, I see you love the least of Jesus' family. I really appreciate how, as a community, this church prays for people in faraway countries who are persecuted for their faith, or are new to the word of God, or are missionaries 
who go out to serve in distant lands. I don't know if you guys remember, but last week we prayed for the Gujars, who make up a large percentage of the people in my country in North India. Now, they are conservative Hindus and sometimes hostile to other religions. Boy, I wish that they knew that there are people in Canada who care for them and are praying for their well-being. I think that's pretty amazing. <laughs> Secondly, this church knows how to welcome people who are new. I've seen it in the way you all welcome me as I began my internship this summer. I believe I've made some amazing friends this summer from this church who have taught me what it means to serve others with joy. So thank you for letting me be a part of your church and for letting me share the word of God with you today. Let's be encouraged friends to always be sensitive to the needs of others in our church community because when we do so, we are in fact truly serving Jesus. Thank you, Sneha. And Sneha, I think one of the great moments for me this summer was when we were visiting uh, uh, Five North at the hospital and we were visiting Ray Scott and Mm -hmm. I asked Sneha, would you just sing him a song? (laughs) And of course she did. And across the room from the other corner there was a lady visiting an aunt who was very ill. And she walks across holding her cross and saying, thank you, thank you, you're the answer to my prayer today. That was just a a wonderful moment, how God used you. Without a doubt, in this passage today, Jesus makes it really clear. He really wants us to love believers in need. But the truth of the matter is this. Jesus has made provision for the whole world. He loves the whole world. He came into this world to meet the needs of all of humankind. For he came to die for our sins so that we might all know forgiveness in a profound way And yes, be with him forevermore. So today I invite you to join me in remembering Jesus Christ, the one who came to take care of our greatest need.